Hey everybody, this is Flavio Romeo, and on this episode of the Towncast, we had the opportunity to talk to James Kalaski, who is a detective sergeant for the Glenrock Police Department, but what I like to call an investigative historian. He shares some amazing stories uh, about things that happened before World War II, after World War II, and especially the uh, the Nazi that lived in Glenrock and the uh, German-American Bund. Uh, it's really fascinating story. So enjoy the episode, everybody. So here we are at the Stone and Rail, uh, just a beautiful place. It's we've done a couple couple shots here, and, and uh, they have great food. It's amazing. I look. It's just a really it's a beautiful place. And now I understand from uh, from our guests that the bar is actually from a house here in Glenrock, which is pretty cool. I didn't even know that. So, Detective Sergeant James Kalaski, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me. So, what what attracted me, James? James and I spoke and. He is, he is, I'm going to call you, I wrote it down, I'm going to call you an investigative historian. <laughs> All right, I'll be cool with because that. Because you, you bring a different twist to history. Uh, he's a history, he's a history buff, and he has a master's degree in history. And as we started talking, there were some things that happened here in this area that, that just were so intriguing to me that I wanted you to share it with everybody. But, but first, how did you get, how did you get interested? First of all, you're a police officer, you're, you're a detective sergeant right here in Glenrock. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. For, for everything you guys do. You and your department, it's, it's you know, and then Hoth, all, all of the, all of these small towns, just, we kind of take it for granted that you guys are there. You know, appreciate so, that. So thank you, thank you for Especially that. nowadays, appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, right, especially <laughs> nowadays. Um, so what got you interested in history? How far back, how far back does that go? <laughs> Uh, from birth, um, my really? yeah, my father was a history teacher. Uh, oh, was he really? Probably close to forty years. So you grew up, you grew up in a house of history. Yeah, always, always into history, always into documentary films, always into uh, historic movies, books. Did he yeah. share? Did he share history with? Obviously, he did. It's his life. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we would go, uh, we would go to you know history trips and stuff like that. I remember one of my birthdays. We actually went to a, a historical reenactment. That's what I wanted to do for my my birthday. We went to that like was a your idea. It was my idea. We like a Revolutionary War historical reenactment. He must have said, "That's my son. That's my son." No Disney World for you. Uh, it was fun. I, I had fun. I think the kids was it was a Revolutionary War. Yeah, Revolutionary War. Yeah, we were. Uh, I think it was at Fort Lee. At the, at the That's very cool. Fort Lee. It was cool. So, uh, but yeah, I've always always loved history. Yeah, and then obviously obviously you went to college. Went to college and what did you go to college? For? No, actually, believe it or not, I didn't do anything history-wise in college. I got my undergraduate degree in sociology and criminal justice because I wanted to become a police officer. Is there any history in your family of police officers? No, not at all. Well, I shouldn't say that. I've actually done my family history, and way back, I found police officers in my family tree, but nobody I knew about growing up, nobody that influenced me right, to become okay. a police officer. Um, but yes, um, I, uh, I, don't know, I don't know why, um, I've always been a person that um, 
you know, I, I never wanted to wake up in the morning and know exactly what I was going to do that day. Uh, where I, I, I knew everything that was going to happen all day long. So I, I like I like the spontaneity of police work. I like yeah, going to work, and I could be working on something, and all of a sudden, surprise! Yeah, exactly. Surprise <laughs> comes in, and you're going here now. Yeah. The other day, I said uh, I said to one of my guys I work with, I said, um, you know, I come to work with a plan, and I never get that plan done because something always comes up, and we're you know we're running off to something else. Right. So. Right. But um, yeah, I, I like that spontaneity. Um, so that's what attracted me to police work. I like helping people. So How long have you been on the force? I've been on the first uh, 23 and a half years. So Ooh, yeah, I'm getting close to retirement. Close. Yeah. You're getting close. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, a couple more years. 23 and a half years. God bless you. Yeah, thanks. So I got hired in 2000 and um, uh, early 2000. I can't even believe that 2000 was 23 years ago. I know, I know, I know. But um, yeah, I've always always been interested in history. And um, while I was a uh, patrol officer, um, I would um, you know was still interested in history. And I figured uh, I'm not a morning person, so I didn't work a lot of day tours. I worked a lot of midnight oh, tours. The, you had the night shift. I had the night shift <laughs> by choice. By choice, I, I enjoyed that. And the um, quiet of it all. I, I, Quiet, yes, but we would always, you know, you always had interesting things at night, you know. Um, I, I always felt like, you know, there's a different kind of person out at three o'clock in the morning than there are at three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, so. they're usually drunk and going <laughs> home. Or there's all different the things going out. So, um, but I enjoyed working midnights. Um, and um, so, what, what I ended up doing is I, I used to read a lot of books, and I thought to myself, I'm like, I'm reading all these books, but I'm not getting anything to show for it so i said you know let me just let me just go get my master's degree for fun like i had no reason to get it for fun for fun for fun yeah <laughs> i have time to kill i mean just go ahead and get my master's so you did it you did it while you were working so i did it while i was working well i mean not while i was working yeah 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 <laughs> scratch that <laughs> but while i was a police officer i uh, i ended up going i enrolled in uh, william patterson and uh, it was a small graduate program for history uh, i think it was like 10 people in my class, and there was actually another police officer in my class. Was it really? Yeah, um, who I didn't know at the time. also bored from Midnight's Day. He just, uh, kind of the same story as me. He was a history buff, and he just said, I just want to do this for fun. That's cool. So uh, we're actually cool. still friends to this day. I still talk to him all the time. I'm sure he'll see this. Oh, that's great. And um, he's, a, he's a cop over in Tenafly. And um, yeah, we, we became friends, and um, actually one of the, one of the wives of a cop was in my class as well, so I became friends with him. He's a cop in Allendale, so uh, small circle. I guess there's a lot of historians, <laughs> a lot of historians, police officers. Yeah. So anyway, um, we uh, I got my master's degree uh, while I was working midnights. I would go to school at night, and then when I would leave school, I'd go to work and and you know do my police job. So, but I was able to kind of do that over a five-year period. I ended really? up getting Good my master's you. degree, and I figured at some point in time. That might come in handy, and now it, you know, that's kind of what I'm angling for as I retire or yeah, get to yeah. my retirement age. Yeah. So, so what, what are you thinking about when you retire? So, because of my graduate research, uh, my master's thesis was on the German-American Bund. And oh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, my work on the Bund put me in touch with a couple different people, uh, a couple authors, and some people that had been involved in some stuff, and I ended up doing some uh, local research about the Bund. And that has kind of, um, not a purpose, but bloomed into a potential um, retirement gig, if you would. Well, and, and, and describe what the German-American <coughs> Bund was. So um, the easiest uh, definition of the Bund was a pro 
Nazi organization in the 1930s. So prior to World War II, there was a, uh, a unit or an organization called the German-American Bund, and Bund just means organization in German, and they were in the United States, and they were pro-Germany, pro-Nazi Germany, and they operated in the United States. Their headquarters were in New York City. Where were they? Do you know where the headquarters was? In New York City, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, in Manhattan. Oh. I, th I think it was uh, East 85th Street, I'm not 100% sure area. on that. Yeah, but in that area. Um, heavily, heavily influenced in uh, Yorkville, which is, you know, there was a German area growing up. Um, and um, they had uh, camps throughout the United States. They were active in uh, politics, not political candidates, but they would support candidates that would support either isolationism or, uh, you know, uh, were anti-British. So you have uh, this organization that was um, very open. Uh, they would have parades with swastika really? flags down Madison Avenue or down in the, Broadway in, the, in, the in New York City in the 30s. Yeah, not now, in the right, 30s. Right, right. Um, and um, oh, I can't even imagine if they tried doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, wow. they um, um, and it was like lost to history. When I read about this organization, I had did never, you know anything about it? Before? Never heard about it. Never read about it, never seen anything on the History Channel about it. And uh, the more I looked into it, I was like, this is insane. Like, I am a history nerd. Right. <laughs> and I'd never heard about this, and it happened in our backyard. Wow. So the more I looked into it, um, the archives, the, the FBI investigative file into the German American Bund, it's about 2,300 pages. I've read every single page of that investigative really? report. Yep. Um, well, there's your thesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, that, that was the, I, it actually was a good basis of my thesis. My thesis was actually uh, examining the German-American bond as a threat to the United States from a law enforcement perspective. So I used my investigative and law enforcement perspective to analyze it because a lot of the historians kind of came out in the 70s and 80s and said, yes, this is an anti-Semitic organization, it's a racist organization, it is a bad organization, but they kind of came to the conclusion that they were like bumbling idiots that couldn't really get out of their own way. And they really weren't a threat. Um, and I've actually done the research and kind of looked at it from the FBI's point of view, from a law enforcement perspective, and come to the conclusion that they actually were a threat. And we'll get to some really cool stories later on about some espionage and yeah, spies yeah. and stuff. But um, now, anyway, how long was the, Bund the, the German American Bund? How long was that in existence? So the Bund itself was from '36 until uh, the day after Pearl Harbor. They got shut down the day after Pearl Harbor. All the camps got raided. But prior to '36, there were predecessor organizations. So you go back all the way into the 20s. I think like 1926, you had the Teutonia Society. Then you had Gau USA, which is actually the only officially sanctioned Nazi organization inside the United States. All the other organizations were Nazi supportive, but they weren't affiliated officially with Third was. Reich. And this one was. It lasted about a year, so it wasn't very successful. Right. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah, and then you have uh, the Friends of the New Germany. And then uh, basically what happened was as from like 33 to 36, the Friends of the Germany is kind of um, giving if you can, giving Berlin a black eye in the media. They're like kind of like a black sheep. They're giving them some bad press. So Berlin kind of puts out this edict that says, if you are a German citizen, you cannot be in this organization. So really? Friends, Friends of the New Germany disbands in 36, and it kind of splinters into two groups. You have the German Bund, 
which was for like German citizens, and it really didn't have Lim much to do here, here in the United States. And then you have the German American Bund, and that was anyone who had an American citizenship or was in the process of taking their citizenship out, they could be in the German American oh. Bund. And they are from Germany that came to America. Could be anyone. They had Irish people in it. They oh, had, really? Yeah, they had Irish people in it. They had Spanish people Just in anybody it. That anyone that in believed that in this, exactly, in that edict. Um, and uh, but most of them would have been uh, German-born. Uh, and it's an interesting, you know, I have German. My family's German, and I have German, uh, you know, family history. But all my ancestors came prior to World War One. So my my ancestors never went through. Treaty of Versailles, the end of World War One, the you know economic revolution and hardship in Germany. So, as a general rule, for my research, you know, it's not hard fast, but as a general rule, anyone that emigrated to the United States prior to World War One really didn't have these nationalistic tendencies. Right. They wouldn't have been a member of the Bund. Anyone who came to the United States after World War One. They were the completely different mindset, different upbringing, different you know environment that they grew up in, or, or that, what changed that? What changed what? What changed that mindset? What changed it? I think the Treaty of Versailles and the economic depression and the you know the revolution that went over there. They were fighting communism and stuff like that. So you know, I mean, the Treaty of Versailles really kind of and purposely they did it on purpose. They wanted to basically make Germany not be able to be strong Never again. do that again. Yeah. So they kind of like economically, militarily, culturally put them into the Stone Age. And um, you, you, if you don't give people hope, they're going to latch on to some radical right. ideology. So, Someone's going to step up. So here come the Nazis to fill this void yeah, and say, you're like, not dirt, yeah. you're the Aryan, the great race, you right, know, right. The, the, the perfect race. Um, and a lot of people grabbed onto that. Whereas, like you have my ancestors that immigrated here in the late 1890s or you know 1900, they didn't go through that. Right. So they didn't need to grab onto that Aryan race theory. Yeah. They were assimilating into the United States. So um, amazing, amazing yeah. how that changed in like 10 years. Yeah. But as I was going through the FBI files, I come across this guy who lived in Glenrock. Yeah. From, from the Bund? Yeah, from the Bund. He, so the leader of the Bergen County unit of the German-American Bund lived in Glenrock. Really? He lived the in Glenrock. The leader Rock. of the Bergen... Do you know And they investigated him as a spy. It says right in the FBI file, suspected Nazi agent or spy, Carl Schiphorst, Glenrock, New Jersey. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow, that is crazy. So did it say how many... Did it go into how many members there were? So... Um, so they, this, even though it was not, you know, in the 1930s, we didn't have the Holocaust yet. So we don't have the, um, the benefit of hindsight. Nowadays, you think of anything Nazi, it's like, oh my God, it's the Holocaust, immediately bad. But in 1930, you don't have that yet. It's just an ideology that hasn't become right. the pariah it is now. You may not agree with it. It may be radical. It may be anti-Semitic, but it wasn't the Holocaust. Right. So um, even still, it was, Maybe people didn't want to be associated with it publicly. You have a prominent businessman who believes in it. Um, you know, um, Charles Lindbergh, America First organization. He was an um, isolationist. He wasn't a member of the German American Bund, but he certainly had Support similar ideology. ideology with the Bund. So um, he received uh, medals from Germany. You know, you know, Henry Ford received medals from Germany. So 
you have maybe prominent businessmen that supported it, but maybe didn't want to be publicly associated with it. So it's kind of hard to narrow down a membership. Most historians say anywhere between like 20 and 100,000. In the US. Yeah, in the United States. And the the, the safe bet is about 40 to 60,000. Were there, were there, you know, small, County type groups across the country, or was it mostly yeah, East Coast? So, no, so they had they had actually three departments. So they had Gao East, Gao Central, and Gao West. So Gao means uh, division or or, 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 yeah. or group. So um, the Eastern uh, United States, Midwest, and then you know West like California and that kind of stuff. It was mostly concentrated in the North. You didn't really have a lot of German communities in the South. You had a couple splinter organizations around the area in the South, but for the most part, it would have been. Milwaukee, Chicago, yeah, I mean, New York, anywhere that had Midwest, Northern Midwest. Anyone that had a, a heavy German population would have had a, a unit. Uh, in our area, was it a big German population in here in Bergen County? Yeah, you had, you had, you had, you know, Karlstadt is that's a German name. Karlstadt. Yeah, Karlstadt. You had, um, <laughs> you had Newark. You had, you had organizations in Newark, Hoboken, um, Union City. There was a there's a bar right across from the Union City Police Department that was the headquarters of the Union County Bund and they would have meetings at the bar and in the back room they'd have, you know, rallies and stuff like really? that. And then, you know, Jewish war veterans and the VFW would like agitate and break up those meetings <laughs> and they'd have brawls that would spill out spill into out the street. street. <laughs> yeah, so um, you had units, but for the most part, um, it would either be on a city level or on a county level that you would have a unit. So Bergen County, uh, was organized by the county level. So we had a county level, which was, uh, I think Hackensack actually was organized out of, but it was a, uh, a Glenrick resident that was the head of the Bergen County unit. So how was it when you, and you're going through it and you, and you just stumble across this? Yeah, so I, I was like, holy crap. So um, I put it off to the side because I had to finish my thesis. My oh, master, oh, so, so thesis. while you were working on your thesis, yes. you stumbled across this information. Yeah. You said, you know what, I'm definitely getting back to Absolutely. this. Absolutely. So <laughs> I ended up, um, put it on the side, but it had a case file listed by his name because they did a separate investigation on him. So the FBI. I, the FBI. So I, I, I got that from the National Archives. It took about 16 months to get it. Really? Yeah, it took a while. So I How long did it take to uh, complete your thesis? Uh, well, the thesis itself was a whole year of research and, and so, writing. So there you go. Yeah, four months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't. I, my mistake. Oh, did I didn't after. require. Oh, I didn't request okay. it until afterwards. But um, but uh, that, that didn't stop my research. So I ended up going in our police department archives because you know I kind of know some people. I can get into them. Yeah, we think so. After so. <laughs> twenty three and a half years. So I got uh, I got into the archives. That I got into the old blotters, and it was really cool because I would like look in the blotters. And I'm going to the blotters and I'd see like, oh, you know, FBI agents came to headquarters, went with, you know, Sergeant Mulqueen and Chief, whatever his name, you know, I forgot the, the chief's name at the time, but um, they would go over to the ship horse residence and they would interview him. And then I would look in the, when I finally got the FBI file, I'd see the FBI report with the same date saying wow. like, so we, we went to the, we went to the house and this is all the stuff we got, you know, like from the interview and from the search warrant and stuff like that. So they did a couple search warrants. They interviewed him a couple times. Um, it's a really, what really. Was, what was, what, what, what were they claiming? Like, why were they going after him? Because he was a Nazi. It's, but but it, it was, this was pre, was this pre? Pre-war, yeah. So it's pre-war. So, so we don't we don't enter the war until Pearl Harbor, right? But the war starts in 1939. So yeah. it's like about two years earlier. Yeah. So, um, so war starts in 1939. England 
who is like kind of our like if you had a guess or yeah. if you had to say we're officially neutral yeah but we're helping England. Our unofficial allies yeah, yeah. We're, we're more allied with England than we are with Germany yeah. so the German American Bund their whole goal is to support candidates that are in favor of isolationism stay out of the war don't help British Anybody, right. yeah whereas like you know FDR with the whole lend lease program we're we're neutral, but we're neutral in name. We're we're helping the allies. Yeah, we're yeah. help. So if you had to pick sides, we're really more allied than we are Axis. So um, even though um, we were neutral, anyone Nazi was still considered a potential threat that they had to keep an eye on. Okay. Plus they had camps. They had Nazi camps in the United States in New Jersey. Where? In Riverdale was a camp, Andover, Andover, New Jersey, up in Sussex County. That was the largest camp in the United States. It's they had Nazi camps in Andover. In Andover, the, the Camp Nordman. It's the largest camp in the United States. Who were they putting in those camps? No, 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 no. Not like a not like a concentration camp. Right. It was like a summer camp. Oh. So, okay. so <laughs> I thought it was a detainment camp. No, 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 no. They did have detainment camps. Believe it or not, uh, Ellis Island, where the uh, Statue of Liberty is, yeah. Ellis Island, that area there. Yeah, yeah. That was a detainment camp. But that was an American-run internment camp for enemy aliens. So our our subject from Glenrock, the Nazi spy, yeah. actually ends up in Ellis Island interned. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So so after the FBI came, yeah, they, they, yeah. they had warrants, they searched, yep. they end up interning him there? Yeah, yeah. For well, uh, you want to get to that now or you want to get to that later? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's keep going. All right, awesome. I was going to talk about the camps real quick. But, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about, right, the camps. So, talk about the camps. So summer camps for the German-American Bund. So you have, so basically, like I said earlier, the basis for the Bund membership was Germans who came over after World War One. They came over because of economic hardships. Sure. So they come over to the United States, they're not in wealthy areas, they're in tenements, they're in, you know, the cities. Yeah. So if I am a German immigrant living in Yorkville in New York City, and I have kids, well, during the summertime, I want to try to get my kids out to the country. Right. Well, New Jersey was the country for New York. Right, right, right. So, you know, it's a half hour drive today. It probably took two hours to get there in 1938. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so um, what the German American Bund did was this was a summer camp where members from the city could go out and rent a cabin or go stay in a, in a, in a you know, one of the cabins for the summer or buy a cabin very cheap and, and be part of this camp. So the members would go out there, the kids would go out there, they would go out to these camps for the summertime, sports, hikes, songs, rallies, speeches, all kinds of stuff. There's videos online, you can see um, the fall of France in 1940, the next day, there's a giant rally in Andover, a parade, musicians, Nazi flags, with American flags, celebrating the fall of France in 1940. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You have images of that. There's video of it. Color, color video from Andover, New Jersey, celebrating the fall of France in 1940. All right, I'm going to try to find that so we can post it I'll, right on this video. Yeah, it's send send it's on links. YouTube. It's on YouTube. Yeah, send me the link. Me so the anyway. It's crazy. Yeah, so... Um, so the camps, I mean, it was great for the kids, but there's still a little twist to it. Like, they're kind of training them. Well, yeah, it's your, you're teaching your ideology. Okay. You're teaching your beliefs. Um, but from my research... If I'm a poor German and I want to get my kids out of the city for the summertime, this was a good opportunity to get my sure. kids out. And if it's 1938, 
what do I care? Maybe I'm not a Nazi. Maybe I'm not a National Socialist. Right. But in 1938, again, I, I think people forget. There was there people was... look at history from their current glasses, right. not from the glasses of the time. Yeah. I would never send my kids to a Nazi camp. But in 1938, there a was, lot of people. There was no Holocaust. A lot. There was no Holocaust, right. and a lot of people who weren't necessarily Nazis. This is a great opportunity for me to get my kids out of the city, and if they had to listen to a couple speeches, so be it. Like they didn't know what was going to come, right? So they may not have been ardent Nazis or national socialists, but they get their kids out of the out of the, yeah. out of the summer or out of, out of the city for the city, summer, yeah. and then the Nazi, the the the, the German American Bund, they see it as a great opportunity to spread their gospel, recruit, spread their recruit. recruit. Yeah. Recruit. So yeah. you know it's you know it's it's no different than some organizations today. Like come to our camp and we'll. Teach you about whatever they're whatever, into, you whatever know. Whatever's about the camp, yeah. whatever the camp's and, about. And if in ten years from now they become the Nazis, then you know people are going to look in fifty years and look back and say, "Well, how could you send your kids to that camp?" But you don't know that at the time. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen at the time. But by the same token, they obviously were out and anti-Semitic, and, and you know, you know, keep the races separate, keep this. So there wasn't it wasn't a hidden thing. But it wasn't the Holocaust, right? It wasn't a scary thing. It was, it oh, was just. It was fan. still. It was still a. You know, there were a lot of people against it. The Jewish war veterans were definitely against it. The right. VFW was against it. Um, politicians were against it. So there were definitely people that were against it. But it was more a political against it versus um, you know just the humanity. Right. It's like Republicans are against the Democrats. Exactly. <laughs> uh, maybe, a, maybe a little <laughs> bit worse than that. A little bit worse than that. Right. <laughs> but it wasn't like you know discourage the humanity yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. You know. Yeah, not until but, yeah, not yeah. until not until a few years later. Yeah. So, but you want to talk about the internment? Yeah. All right. So, so anyway, so the FBI they investigate the Bund, and they basically know they want to get these guys, but they really don't have a lot to get them. Like when they did the search warrant on this guy's house, he's got a diary, he's got a songbook, he's got you know Nazi stamps, like not your but what not your smoking gun as far as like oh my god we're gonna arrest this guy right. But what the what what the the fear was of a fifth column. So the fifth column term comes from the Spanish Civil War. And when, uh, during the Spanish Civil War, there were um, armies basically approaching Madrid from four sides. So you have four columns approaching the city, and they said that a fifth column is going to rise from within, from inside the city. Supporters of our cause are going to rise from within the city and basically take, down, take us down from within. You know, they're going to be an, an uprising inside the, the country, inside the city. So the term fifth column basically says all these Nazi sympathizers that are here in the United States, they're training at these camps. They're doing target practice. Now, the Boy Scouts did target practice, but, you know, the, the German-American Bund doing target practice for was for different their tag, you know, the right. day yeah, of the yeah. uprising. Wow. So, um, you know, they're looking at these guys and they're trying to basically... They want to. They, they they know it's a threat. They think it's a threat, but they don't have the smoking gun to arrest them. Yeah. So they kind of go after them with a couple different legal angles. They have FARA, which is the Foreign Agents Registration Act, which I like when I like to say I I I, uh, I get a little chuckle when I do it in my presentations. I'll say it basically says if you're a, an agent or a spy for another country, you have to register with the United States. And everyone jokes like, "What spy is going to you know right. register hey, with the United States?" Spy here, but you know, it, it, there's twofold for that. One, you have to have a law against it for it to be illegal. Right, right, right. And two, oh, and there was one. There wasn't one. And, well, that that is the law. Yeah. And two, 
it's not just for spies. So if I work for OPEC, right, oil producing countries like the Middle East, I'm actually working for a foreign agent. Right. Okay, keep going. So, so I'm working for a foreign agent, so I would need to um, register with the United States that I'm working for a foreign agent. So it, it, it has legitimate things as sure. well too. So they went after him for that. If you actually, so if you ran like a propaganda bookstore and you're getting your propaganda material right from Berlin, you're working for Berlin. You have to register. If you don't register, you're actually in violation of the law. Right. You can get arrested. You can get deported. What most of the Bund members kind of got wrapped up in was the oath of allegiance uh, investigation. It basically said, I'm a German. I want to become a United States citizen. When I become a citizen, I take an oath of allegiance to the United States. I did it. I re Okay, you were born outside the United States? Yeah, I was born oh. in Italy. All right, so you... 18 years old. Okay, so the oath. do you remember your oath? Absolutely. So do you have to renounce any allegiance to foreign... I did. All right, so you renounce your allegiance to a foreign country and you become... An American citizen. You pledge allegiance to the United States. Yeah. So, um, but there was a... At the time, and I don't think they have it anymore, they have a little... They had a little clause in there that says, I, I renounce any allegiance to a foreign country yeah. without reservation. Yeah. So that I think that without reservation was taken out. But basically, what the United States government said was, if I you're a member of the German American Bund, you support Nazi Germany, you support the Third Reich, you have mental reservations about your oath of allegiance. Yeah. So therefore, it nullifies your oath of allegiance, which nullifies your citizenship. So which, that was the loophole. That was a loophole to deport everyone. Which, by the way, got overturned in like 1949. So he was born. He was born in, in Germany. And moved here. He was born in Germany. Okay. Fought in World War One for the German Army after the fall of uh, Germany in World War One because of the economic hardship. He emigrates to the United States, settles initially in I think Ridgewood. I, I, I think uh, he definitely lived in Ridgewood. I think uh, Ridgewood was his first spot. He may have been Hackensack, but he uh, is in Ridgewood on Ackerman Avenue, and then uh, he moves to Glen Rock, where he finally settles down in Glen Rock. Wow. So yeah. the FBI comes in and says, "Hey." You pled. You pledged allegiance to America. Yep. And we found documents here saying that you still have allegiance to Germany. Well, because you were the leader of this organization in the Bergen County unit, you pledge allegiance to Nazis still. So we're going to revoke your citizenship. You're on Ellis Island. But there's a twist. So they're interviewing the family multiple times. So finally, his wife calls up the FBI, and she says, "I want to." voluntarily revoke our citizenship because she can see the writing on the wall. She knows what's going to happen. There's right. no use fighting this. This is going to happen. It's just a matter of when, not if. So she calls up. She says, I'm going to voluntarily revoke our family citizenship. I have one request. Keep us together as a family. And do not let our daughter, Ursula, know that she's adopted. She was adopted and they didn't know. The girl didn't know. So that was a request. So I have a letter in the FBI file that says they do not have sufficient evidence to charge this guy, but yet she's voluntarily withdrawn. So what? So basically, what they do is they like rubber stamp it and they you say, revoked. "Get rid of it," because she's willing to do it. Let's just move it along. And you're deported. So they took him to, um, uh, and it says right in our police blotter, it says, uh, you know, responded to the ship horse residence, uh, picked up mother, father, and 13-year-old daughter, and uh, took them to Ellis Island. Took them to Ellis Island. So Ellis Island, during World War II, was an internment camp. So we all, everyone learns about the Japanese internment during yeah. World War II. Very well known, very yeah. well studied. Lots of Japanese were interned. 
probably like 150 to 180,000 Japanese interned. In World War II, you actually have about 20 to 30,000 German and immigrant, uh, Italian immigrants that are also interned. But we don't hear about that in right, school. We right. only hear about the, the Japanese. Yeah. So obviously a much lower number, but we still have this internment. A little bit of racism involved there. I can yeah, easily tell who is Japanese. Yeah. I can't tell who's German based on just looks, right, you know? Right. So, um, but anyway, so you have uh, the internment in um, Ellis Island. So they're in Ellis Island for a couple, um, a couple months, uh, and then they get sent to Crystal City, Texas, which is the largest internment camp in the United States. So now, Crystal City, Texas, the camp's not there anymore, but there's a, like a memorial website built to it because they had a high school there. They had all kinds of stuff there. People who, million, maybe not millions, but thousands of people went through this internment camp that uh, even children went through the camp that may still be alive today. So people with high school, people with did all kinds of stuff there. There's a website that kind of documents what these people went through. So, so they shipped them from Ellis Island to, to Crystal so City, Texas. So they deport them back to Germany. It took but like from two there, years they, to deport them. And they voluntarily went. It took them like two years. So anyway, they're in Crystal City, Texas. There's a website dedicated to this internment camp. And I'm browsing the website one day. And it's got to be 100,000 people that got deported through Crystal City, Texas. And on the website, they have a picture of one of the deportation lists of the thousands of people that got deported. And I'm looking at this deportation, I swear to God, I'm looking at the deportation list and right in the middle, Carl Schiphorst. No. Ursula Schiphorst and Barbara Schiphorst. The Glenrock family. The Glenrock family is the- Memorialized on the inter- yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. And if you look at the date and the time, the time that they actually got deported and put on the ship was like 3.30 a.m. Wow, that's So they get deported back now, it's 1944. They get ported, deported back to Europe. It's a war still on. You can't pull into Hamburg yeah, and just drop like, all people. Live happily ever after. So you drop, they dropped them in Portugal, because Portugal was neutral at the time. Right. So you basically just dump them. You dump this mother and father and 13-year-old daughter. daughter who grew up in Bergen County right. in Portugal. So then they're dumped there. I don't know how, but at some somehow they make their way from Portugal to Dresden in Germany. Dresden through yeah, through, I mean through, through Europe, through Europe, which is in the middle of of a World War Two. Yeah, like D Day's happened. The Allies are closing in on Germany, and here's this family making their way to Germany. Right, as everyone else is trying to leave Germany. Yeah. yeah. So here's just so just about a 13 year old female grew up in Bergen County is now in Dresden thrown into the war and Dresden is known for the firebombing, the Allied firebombing destroyed Dresden and they lived through that they lived through the Allied bombing. Crazy, (laughs) right? And all started right here in Glenwood. Yeah. Well, you can tell that that he's a good detective. (laughs) That's why he's detective sergeant. I love the fact that you bring an investigative mind to history. Yeah. Because you, you probably would not have been able to dig up as much as you dug up, you know, on, on with just you know, just pulling together the facts and, and, and you know, being able to investigate and dig deeper and like you said, think out of the box. Well, none of that story is in the FBI files. The FBI files ends with the deportation. Right. They got put on a boat. You kept going. And that was it. Yeah. They, 
there's not a word of what happened. But then it's like, all right, so what happened? I did all the investigation afterwards to figure out what happened to these people. I tracked down the family. You're not going to get anything past this guy. He's got a year and a half left. So if you plan on doing anything, wait another year and a half. Well, I could tell that uh, you, you have a passion for this. Yeah, I really do. And I know you do a lot of speeches. So, you know, if anybody's listening and, you know, you're affiliated with any schools, organizations, I mean, it's he's a wealth of information. So does your your history knowledge go all the way back to the Revolutionary War? Yeah, so I I'm, I'm, I love anything history. Yeah, what do you speak on? Like uh, military mostly, but military German investigative stuff. Uh, so my main, so basically I put together this Nazi spy presentation from Glenrock um, as a presentation that I've given to libraries, historical societies, civic organizations. I've probably presented 50 times on it wow. over the years. And I keep getting asked to do it. Uh, in November, I'm going to be doing it for uh, the Naval Air Station in Wildwood, Cape May Naval Air Station. They, cool. have a, they have a museum down there. I'm going to be presenting for them uh, virtually online. But um, a lot of these places ask me, they really enjoyed the presentation. They want to know if I do anything else. So I've expanded now. So now I have uh, I've developed a presentation on the Charles Lindbergh baby kidnapping and wow. murder and the trial investigation about that. So I'm going to basically look at that investigation, who they arrested and executed, and whether or not he really did it or not. So I'm kind of looking into that from a law enforcement perspective. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm looking at uh, German sabotage during uh, World War One and World War Two. Uh, there was actually uh, a munitions factory that uh, was sabotaged and exploded in Lyndhurst uh, in really? 1917 or 18. Uh, there was an explosion on Black Tom Island, which is uh, down by the Statue of Liberty, and they say that explosion during World War One is why you can't go up in the arm anymore in the torch because it damaged the Statue of Liberty. So there's all this stuff that happened here in our area that a lot of people don't know about. So I, I'm doing a presentation on that now. I'm doing a presentation on the Hindenburg disaster. And I have a lot more that I'm in the process of. I have a, a lot of ideas that I'm looking to do presentations for. So you can't for. wait to retire. I, I kind of, yeah, I kind of <laughs> can't. You know, a lot of people when, when I have a lot of friends that are like, I say, I said, so you're gonna retire? So what am I gonna do? I gotta do something you like. You know, yeah, you gotta, you gotta yeah. do something you like. My dad always said, if you if you do something you enjoy, you're never gonna work a day in your life. So right. everything I've always done has always been like, what do I enjoy? I'd rather I'd rather do something I enjoy and make you know less money than make more money and, and hate going to work every yeah. day. Yeah. Now do you have do you have a website that you post some of this information on? Absolutely. Yeah. So I have a website. It's uh, www.hunting-history.com. Hunting-history.com. Yeah. So I'm always hunting history I'm yeah, always hunting. Yeah. So, uh, I do genealogical research I'm actually teaching a genealogical class at the River Edge library monthly which is going to start this coming month in September do you post those events on yep website? it's going to be posted on my website I do the historical lectures which I give all over the place and if you think uh, you're interested in one of my lectures and you know go talk to your library I'd be happy to come uh, I've, I've I've traveled, you know, 200 miles to go to do a lecture. So uh, I do a lot of research for documentary films. I'm actually involved in documentary work right now. Oh, so I've awesome. been in a couple films, one in Europe that is supposed to come out on Netflix, but COVID kind of screwed that up. So I'm still waiting for that to come over here. And I'm involved in a film right now, which we're still doing research for, that is uh, going to be on American television hopefully next year. So that one, I'm crossing my fingers, is going to come out soon. Well, and I know you talked about at some point you're going to have a YouTube channel. Yeah, so actually the reason I kind of reached out <laughs> to you in the first place was uh, because I knew about you in town and, and the podcast you do. And I had this idea of doing these like mini 
focused documentary. Yeah. It's like a 15, 20 minute. Well, just, I mean, look, we talked for, we talked <laughs> for almost 40 minutes about yeah. about this guy. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very, oh, it's, and there's, I know there's a lot more to talk about. So listen, go to, make sure you go to his website, hunting-history, no, hunting-history.com and, and check out the events he has coming up. Go see him if he's anywhere in your area or if you want to bring him to your area. You want to bring him to your library, you want to bring him to your school. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of this history is not taught. No. Like a lot of the stuff we talked and about, it's, it's, I never heard of it. It's fascinating. I think it all should be made in a movie. We were talking about the, yeah. the submarines and the Nazi spies that, that landed on Long Island and Florida. Nazi spies that landed <laughs> on the shores of Long Island. How about that? Is that on your website? Uh, it's not on my website, but it's part of my presentation. All right, see? And it's gonna, actually, it's gonna be part of my uh, espionage, World War II espionage presentation where I'm gonna elaborate on it. Right now, it's a, it's a small part of the German-American Bund presentation. Right. It's gonna be, it, it, It's gonna be its own. It's, it's deserving of its own. Yeah, and that's, that's just it. Like, you take that isolated thing that's part of a bigger thing, there, and it's easy to put, compress it into 15, 20 minutes. There's so much history that people don't realize because it's not, big enough it's not glamorous it's not big enough for a full-length movie right or a full-length book but you look at some of the like little, little things oh, yeah. it's just so much out there it's it's great keep an eye on <laughs> keep an eye on detective sergeant james kalaski uh, he's got a year and a half left and then i'm sure you're gonna see a lot of content coming out hopefully hopefully <laughs> check imdb <laughs> make sure make sure you go to hunting-history.com uh, see where he's going to be, go and say hello, and, uh, and, and, and take a look at some of the things that he's investigating. James, it's so great to see you. Thank you so much I for really having me. Appreciate it. it. Yeah, it's very cool. <laughs> All right, be well, everybody. Thank you.